Good morning, church. My name is Noah Cunningham. I'm a sophomore at Trinity University, and I've been at First Pres since uh, first semester of my freshman year. The gospel of Jesus Christ transforms everything, especially the loves of lives transformed by his grace. Jesus teaches us that true lordship looks like loving God with all our heart. Grace awakens us to celebrate the lordship of Jesus and find true restoration by learning to love him. Please join me in reading Luke 16, 10 through 15. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Thank you, Noah. He forgot to mention he's also one of our university interns. And uh, we are praying for all of our students as they are going into exam week. Some of them are graduating. So, Callan, you want to come up here while we start real quick? Come here, I want to give you a hug, man. You know, you know sometimes we just need to start service by saying, uh, God wants to speak to you today. Can you look to somebody around and just say, God wants to speak to you today? Yeah, God wants to speak. That's why we come to his word. And so life is just, life's a party. So I just, I just love you. I wanted to hug you and tell you I love you. Happy fiesta! Viva fiesta! I love you. I play a very long, long game. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I'm sorry. I had to do that, right? Yeah. You got to clean it up. Yeah. Okay. But I can't hear you. The mic's on. So we really do, we do want to create a family atmosphere in here. Uh, we, we are a family. And uh, brothers don't just hug. Brothers pull pranks. So. Uh, it is always a fiesta when we're going to study God's word, believe it or not. And today, uh, we're going to look at the lordship of Christ. Uh, we, we're in Eastertide, so these weeks after Easter, and we're looking at what true, sustainable transformation looks like. Our paradigm, uh, we started a few weeks ago by looking at Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus? Uh, he was transformed into a new kind of man, a new kind of tax collector. He received salvation and celebrated, received Jesus joyfully, and it changed his life. And last week, we looked at uh, Jesus' teaching on the kingdom. So when we re joyfully receive Christ in relationship with him, we are necessarily transplanted into his kingdom. It's what Paul teaches in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. He says that you have been ripped, if you're a Christian, you've been ripped from the domain of darkness and transplanted into the kingdom of God's beloved son 
through whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That kingdom we talked about last week is an already reality in Christ. Jesus teaches in Luke 17 that the kingdom of God is among us. Jesus, his lordship, his love, and his rule, it changes everything, even though the return of Christ in the fully consummated kingdom is not yet totally realized. So we have a foretaste, an already reality of the not yet fully consummated kingdom of Jesus that will one day come. Now this perspective, this understanding changes everything. I was reminded this week, uh, uh, one of our young adults, uh, uh, someone that's in their mid-20s has been praying for peace. And they were in this prayer group and they've asked for peace for a couple of weeks. And this week they said, I have peace. God's given me peace. It wasn't a request, it was a praise. And someone said, really? What, what circumstances have changed that you have peace? And she said, not circumstances. My perspective changed. Jesus is king. And when we understand that, he rules in the place of our heart. We gave a, I know it's a middle school acronym, and you're, you think it's crazy that I do stuff, simple stuff like this, but here it is. When Jesus is king over the place of your heart, the already realization, you get peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus says, come to me, I'll give you rest. You have love that comes from God. The love to know God. Hi, yes, he's talking back, I'm telling you. You got yourself a presbycostal on your hands. So not only that, the anxiety of our heart, it's truly replaced with an energy because we believe that God's sovereign grace secures us and that his rule is beneficial. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And we have courage. That courage in knowing that he's going to come back, there will be a fully consummated uh, kingdom that comes, and we can have courage in the present moment, living our eternal identity as citizens of heaven. And we can be excited. The place of our hearts where Jesus rules is marked with excitement because we know that all the sad things of this world will be made untrue. That when Jesus comes, all things will be made new. And so living this already reality is something that we uh, celebrate and cultivate in the kingdom of God. The question for us today is, what does that look like in real time? I mean, it sounds good. It's a good acronym. Take a picture of it. How do I actually access that? The answer is Jesus not only being our Savior, but also being our Lord. In the way we can know if Jesus is Lord of our hearts and our lives is we look at and examine the loves that come from our life. Now, uh, uh, James K. Smith, he has a phenomenal book I highly recommend to you. It's called You Are What You Love. It's, a, it's, it's on the spiritual power of habit. Uh, this is what he says. Jesus' command to follow him, that's to live with him as Lord, is a command to align our loves and our longings with his. To want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. A vision that encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God. You see, our loves reveal who or what is our Lord. And when we have disordered loves, that is when we love something more than God with all of our heart, then disorder flows from our lives. You say, Mitchell, that's a bold statement. Can you prove it? I'm going to ask you to prove it. 
Look at your life in the areas where you're experiencing disorder. Disorder financially, disorder with eating, disorder with sexuality, disorder with friendships, disorder socially, and examine your own heart. Follow the belief system, and you will discover that because you love something more than the Lord, it is disordered and has led, whoo, how you doing, to a disordered life. The invitation of the gospel is to hear the rule and the reign of King Jesus as an invitation that no matter where we are, however far we are, are we off in a country, no matter if we're a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter that has rejected or turned our hearts from our home, which is the love of our Heavenly Father, wherever we are, we can come back and celebrate the rule and reign of God. Jesus teaches that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul. God himself is love. And Jesus teaches it since before the foundation of the world, John 17, 24, the, the Trinity, God, the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit have loved one another. Love has existed. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that before the foundation of the world, he's chosen his people in love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Romans 5, 8 to 10 says that God showed his love for this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So wherever we are, we can come to know God's love, but more importantly, to show our love for him with the lordship of his rule and reign in our life. So let's unpack this passage. And the first thing, we're going to see three things. And the first thing that we're going to see today is that loving God looks like faithfulness to God. Look down at the passage. We're going to start it at verse 10 of chapter 16. One who is faithful in little is faithful in much. The one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If you then have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? So Jesus is finishing, he's landing a parable about a dishonest manager who isn't stewarding the resources of his master faithfully, of the, man, of the head manager faithfully. He's using money as an illustration to examine our hearts and to discern whether or not we're being faithful. Uh, money is the common illustration that's going to go through all three points, but it's illustrative of greater loves in our heart. I need you to be aware of that. Okay, um, And so Jesus is, is, is compelling people. Much like the parable of, uh, of the return of the, the steward, the king comes back in Matthew 25, uh, the, the parable of the talents. And the, the question is, knowing that the king will return, and in this context it's more of knowing that there's two different ages, how then are we stewarding what God has given us? Are we being faithful in living with him as Lord? Or are we being faultful, F-A-U-L-T, uh, fractured in loving God more than money? He, he uses uh, several appositions here. Uh, they challenge us to discern where we are. There's an apposition uh, 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 between faithful and dishonest, faithful and not faithful, little and much, wealth of the world, and true riches. So if you were to look at your heart, and the question of whether or not you're faithful with what God's trusted you, would people have enough evidence to convict you that you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Demonstrated through faithfulness with what he's trusted to you. 
Um, I have a wallet. I carry a wallet and not a purse for obvious reasons. Uh, some of you have heard this illustration before, but it comes from a guy named Larry Burkett. Uh, I, I love this illustration. You need to hear it more often. But he talks about when the Crusades, uh, uh, the horrific, unjustifiable Crusades hundreds of years ago, they were recruiting mercenaries to go fight. And before they would have them fight, they would ask the mercenaries to be baptized. And what all the mercenaries did is they would go to be baptized, submerged in the water, and they would keep their swords above water. And the, the symbolism of that was like, Jesus can have all of my life except I want to do what I want with my sword. If I'm going to be a, an effective mercenary, I want to do what I want with my sword. And Larry Burkett says that the Western church has done that with their wallets. That we have said, you can have all of my life, you can have all that I am except this sword. This, if I'm going to be effective, if I'm going to be fruitful, i got to have control of this. And the question of lordship is to examine our heart and, and, and see if Jesus is really Lord of everything. Because the truth is that if Jesus is not Lord of all in our life, then he is not Lord at all. We can't compartmentalize and give him some things. Now, who is this God that offers us the invitation to find restoration through celebrating his lordship. How many of y'all have been keeping up with the images coming from the Webb telescope? Table for one up here. Seriously? Now we got a few people raising your hand now. Thank you. Uh, am I the only NASA nerd in here? I don't think so. I love the Webb telescope. Sending pictures from the furthest part of the world. Can you show this picture? Uh, this is my, my new favorite. I have several favorites, but they... The Webb telescope is going further into the depths of the universe than anybody has ever seen. And the headline this week in my favorite news outlet that I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it said, and I quote, this is rewriting our understanding of time and of the universe. That the, the images back into the universe are exploding. These are, this is the pillars of creation. All right, I love that picture. Uh, he changed it on me. I was ready. <laughs> I mean, it's fascinating. The beauty of the stars. And the, the, the scientists, the, the astronomers, the, the historians, they're trying to understand and study it, and it's just blowing their mind. And the God who created that Jesus Christ, the word that spoke it into creation. He scattered stars. He knows their names. This is, this is his handiwork. He comes to us and says, I want to be Lord of your life. This is not somebody that we say, well, you can have part of my life. This is not somebody where, oh, I'll love you, but not any more than I love my social status or my reputation or my bank account or my job. This is the creator of the universe. It's not a discussion. He is Lord of all. And the question is, is he Lord of your heart and your life? Uh, you know, it, the, the benefit of learning to celebrate Jesus as Lord is to align our loves and to find a reorder that only he can give. So that's what faithfulness is. 
is ordering our loves, flowing from, dropping down from a love for God and God above everything else. In the same way, if you go outside and you look into the heavens now, you're not going to see any stars. You know why? Because you only see the light of the sun. The light of the sun outshines all the other stars in the heavens, but they're still there. So too, when Jesus is our Lord, our love for him should outshine all other loves. Does that make sense? So what does that look like? It also looks like service to God. Jesus goes on, and I'm telling you, Jesus gets in our face. We're going to skip the long slides, Bob, uh, just because there's, there's too much and none of time. But verse 12, if you uh, haven't been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? 13, no servant can serve two masters, for he, he will either hate the one or love the other. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When Jesus is doing this, he is claiming the right to have the ultimate affection of your heart. He's using money as a means of illustration. There are other things that we love just like money. We love people's opinions of us. We love to have the best seat at the table. We love to be on top. We love to be number one. We love certain kinds of food, things to do in our, friend, friend, uh, things to do in our free time. We love certain relationships. And these are good things in life. But if they are the sun of your life, outshining all the other loves in your life, then only disorder will drop down, will cascade from that. Now, Paul reinforces, we're going to go straight to the Timothy passage. He reinforces the disorder that comes from a love of money. But please understand this is an illustrative thing of other things that we love outside of God. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6, 6-19. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, we can take nothing out of the world. For the love of money, can y'all say that with me? For the love of money. It's the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I love that. I mean, who says that? Have you pierced yourself with many pangs? Sounds like an 80s video game. Oh, wait, that's Pong. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves treasures and as a good foundation for their future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You see, the Bible doesn't condemn money. It condemns the love of money. When we love money or love anything that God gives us more than God himself, Jesus is not Lord of our life. I see, to use money as an illustration, I see money lead to disorder all the time. In a city where there's generational wealth, I see the love of money divide families. I see the love of money divide families over property. I see it over inheritance, over assets, I see the love of money divide in so much more, even in San Antonio, 
Do you know that we're the most economically segregated city in the country? We're separated by money. Our city is divided because the richest zip code in our city and the poorest zip code in our city have the largest discrepancy of anywhere else. And many times we don't even realize it because we're so comfortable in our normal corridors. We don't feel the pain of the poor. And I'm telling you, we miss out on what God has in store because there is a lot of life and loving men and women born in his image that don't share our zip code. But the love of money divides and it disorders. I come from a family where the love of money led to a gambling addiction that really hurt our family. It's the love of money in my family, I'm using personal examples, that led to a love of status. And when things started falling off the shelf, the member of my family started coping with alcohol and led to alcoholism. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. But the reality is that our love of anything other than the Lord will lead to that level of disorder. And God's gracious invitation is that we find reordering, restoration, and renewal through loving Jesus with all of our hearts. This is our third point. The love for God doesn't just look like faithfulness to God. Loving God doesn't just look like service to God, not letting our money serve us, but using our money to serve the kingdom. But love for God looks like love for God. Now, you can, you can tell what people love oftentimes when they come into a room. Sometimes people love a certain basketball team or sports team or they love their alma mater. Uh, they, they love a certain standing in society, so their clothes communicate that. You can tell oftentimes what people love when they come into a room. This was true of the Pharisees. And this is how the Pharisees are described, verse 14. They were lovers of money. <laughs> I hope I'm never described that way. Oh, Mitchell, he's a lover of money. The Pharisees were described that way. How did they receive Jesus' teaching? You could tell when they came in that they loved money. It says they heard all these things and they ridiculed Jesus. You see, the self-righteous religious person uses religion in their faith in the same way that people who love money. It's not just a money issue, it's a heart issue. Now, how many of y'all know people, not one in this room, but you know people who thinks that God loves them more if they perform better? And conversely, that God loves you less if you don't perform well. It's as if God's love is some sort of scale, and when you perform well, well, then you're going to get closer to him. He's going to love you more. Friends, that is garbage. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. If God's love was for you was based on your performance, no offense, you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know God's love. It's 100% based on the covenant faithfulness of God. And the self-righteous person is just as lost as the non-Christian or irreligious person. Just like the prodigal son. The self-righteous son stayed outside and the father says, come in and celebrate. Come know the joy. And he would not go in. Why? How dare you show love to someone who hasn't been as good as me? They're just as lost as the prodigal. All of us need to come home. 
And that's why the gospel is so powerful. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, that though he was rich, God was rich, he became poor, God became poor, so that we could become rich in, in love and grace. This is the heart of what Paul says in Philippians 2, that though he was in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that we could live. He took our shame so that we could be born again and forgiven, so that we could learn to be reordered by our loves for him. And that's why the gospel is so powerful, because if you're like me, you haven't been faithful like you should be. If you're like me, you haven't served like you should. You've, you've actually had your money serve you more than using your money to serve Jesus in the kingdom, if you're like me. Maybe you're not. And if you're like me, ah, I need to hear the gospel. And I need the love of Jesus to touch my heart so I can learn to love Jesus with all of my heart. Here's what's crazy. You know, if I was Jesus in this situation, the Pharisees, the lovers of money, right? They're standing out there. If I was Jesus, I would shoot fire from my hands. I would just eliminate him. I would like throw marbles, like forget spider webs. From, I'd be like, I would take these guys out and I wanted everybody to know it. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus gives them a chance. Look what he says to them. He says, you are those who justify yourselves before people. Stop justifying yourself. Stop worrying about what everybody thinks. Stop defining yourself by your own performance. God knows your hearts. God knows your hearts. And he still loves you. God the Father sees and he still loves you. God the Father knows that you've had loves greater than him and he still wants you to come home and to know his love. I want to end by doing something a little weird. And when I say that, it's a lot weird. All right? So just kind of gauge your expectations. But I want to give like a participatory way that we can all respond to God's grace. And a certain song has been running through my head all week as I've prayed for you and I've prayed for this time. Jesus, how can we celebrate your grace by beginning again? Well, the truth is that when grace touches our hearts, we sing. In the invitation of God to be Lord of our life is for him to be the love of our life. And it's to embrace God's grace and to come into a new space where we say, I want to, be, I want to begin again, Lord. I want to learn to love you with all my heart, all my mind, and all my soul. So I'm going to sing, and I'm going to ask you to sing with me. If you want to start fresh with the lordship of Jesus and having him be your primary love, then join me in this song. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear, not because of the works you've done, not because of your performance 
not because of your obedience or your faithfulness or your service, but because God loved you so much that he came to this earth to take humanity, to fully live the perfect life you could never live and die the death you deserve to die so that he could purchase you with his life, so that you could belong to him no matter what. And that your life could be restored and renewed by worshiping him as Lord, him as your love. So that in response to his grace, we can sing together. I love you, Lord. Sing it. Let's hear it. And I lift my voice to worship.